Flatulate. Uh-huh. What are you, a little gassy tonight? Flatulate. Want to hear a funny fart story? It's so. F- it still makes me laugh to this day. <laughs> Do I want to hear a funny fart story? <laughs> yes. The answer is yes, because <laughs> farts are always funny. So please go on. Yes. <laughs> when I used to DJ at Niagara, which if you don't know the venue, is a very popular East Village club bar. Yeah, whatever. Super punk. Shout out Jesse Mallon. It, oh, yeah. In terms of the owners and the origins, very, very awesome, authentic. It's become so popular now that it's kind of like, you know, it's just another popular venue. It's still got a lot of cred. Anyway, I won't get into that. But I used to DJ on like Friday nights. Oh, that's and, a good, good slot. Big yeah. time DJ. Yeah. 11 to 4. And on the way there, I would often stop at the, there was a deli down the road that had like a lot of health food and I would just get like, I don't know, like I would get a lot of, I would get like a vegan, you know, sandwich and stuff. Not because, just because they were good, they had good vegan sandwiches and I knew I was going to have an unhealthy night. But anyway, (laughs) it would sometimes, but not always, it wasn't a given, but maybe it was whatever I'd had for lunch it would sometimes give me like really awful farts. And it was one night where like I was farting and it was so, the smell was so horrible that I was like (laughs) laughing to myself. I'm sitting there like teaching. I'm like, Oh my God. It's so horrible. (laughs) Like how is this coming out of me? And I see the, I see the doorman, Charlie. He's like, and the club, this is early, you know, it's like midnight. And like the venues, it's like, I don't know, it's like half full, maybe a third full. Like the place used to rage to the point where you couldn't walk through it. And it wasn't there yet. But I see like Charlie kind of like pushing to the crowd and he's got the door pried open with a chair. And he's like, man, he goes, somebody keeps fucking like (laughs) gas in the place. And it's just horrible. I had to, I had to. Pop the door open. I was like, it's <laughs> it me, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, just wrecking the pickup. Take the of paint the off walls. It really was horrible. It was amazing. Uh, are you now when you're DJing eleven to four at Niagara in those days? Like you're high on cocaine. Like are you doing drugs in these days? <laughs> no, no, no. No, I didn't say no I'm, just because your kids might listen. No, to no, this? I've never been. I've never been a Coke guy. Oh, okay. I, but I mean, in those days, this is pre kids. I, I mean, I did DJ for a couple of years after my daughter was born, but for the most part, this is pre kids. And I was, those were my hour. I mean, the reason I got the gig in the first place was because one of the owners, my wife was bartending there. And then one of the owners is like, Brad, you're here every Friday, anyways. We need a DJ. Why don't you DJ? And they, they, they said, prerequisite, your fucking asshole has to stink so bad you can clear the room. <laughs> I was, um, I think when he asked me, I was already kind of, I had done some DJing at other venues, but I hadn't really considered it just because, I mean, the Niagara gig was, you know, more of like a real, like, it was like a juke, you know, you're like a, lo- a living jukebox, essentially. <laughs> right, right. I mean, right. you could get a little bit creative, but, you know, you had to keep the party going. Got to keep. Keep the Clash songs coming. Well, Brad, Mm. this was fun having Dave Knudsen. (laughs) I can't believe I've been saying I've been saying Dave Knudsen for for like twenty years. That's what you would think, though. Yeah, K N. I I don't know. So I have 
a long, long relationship with his groups. Um, you know, Bacha is really just a fan of, you know, we talked about it in the interview. Funniest thing that happened with Botch was the one of my best friends, Chris Ross, who was the promoter at the Melody Bar in New Brunswick. He also happened to live a block away from me in Highland Park. I was very young, very poor. Chris's house was like my sanctuary, and he was like a steady piece of my life. And Botch stayed at his house, and the following morning, we took them to a little local diner called Penny's, had a great time. And I've always just been this giant Botch fan. I had a car, a uh, mid-90s Corolla that I had for, fuck, I drove the thing into the ground for over 10 years. And I kept this thing going so long. You know, I married into a car family. Mm. They know cars. Okay. And I showed up into the mix with this like 15-year-old Corolla, half aftermarket parts, like literally like things put on with zip ties all over the place. (laughs) But since they were car people, they're like, you know what? I respect you. Like, I respect that you tried. (laughs) And, but, you know, I I was already dating, you know, my now wife and uh, the car broke down a couple of times when I was on tour. I was being stubborn. I didn't want to get rid of it. The car gets randomly one night. Someone throws paint thinner on the side of the fucking car. And then in the middle of Jersey, no other cars got it. Just this old piece of shit. Corolla. I have no idea why. And and I'm like, all right, this is an inside job. This is my wife's family (laughs) going out at night. They want me to get a new car. So they did this, you know, but anyway, long story short, I had one sticker on this car. It was a botch sticker. Nice. The old school botch sticker on the back windshield with the uh, rodeo, the rodeo cowboy on it. Just a little circle sticker. And I love this car so much. People were telling me to junk it. I was like, no, won't (laughs) junk it. I literally took this door off, brought it to my father-in-law's shop, buffed it out, and painted the fucking door so I could sell the thing for 500 bucks. <laughs> it had over 200,000 miles on it, still sold it for 500 bucks. Yeah. I was like, it must live. And maybe like three or four months later, I'm driving in Jersey City. I'm stopped at a light. I see an old Corolla. It kind of looks like mine. And I look close. What do I see? But the box sticker. Yes. I'm like, she lives. <laughs> she lives. And it's just this little Mexican lady driving the car. No idea how she got it. Uh, and the bot sticker lives. It's on there. The car must have had like 300,000 miles by that time. Uh, that's heartwarming. So it was so nice, that's right? That's a great that it story. Kept the car. But, you know, then, you know, many years pass and... Uh, I think it's like 05 or 06, and I'm in a very like, it's literally just when Gaslight's getting going. Um, We might not have even been Gaslight Anthem that long, and we had uh, a three-song CD that that we were pushing around, a demo, you know? Mm -hmm. And I wound up on a tour, um, I think it was a Shirts for the Cure tour with Thursday, Minus the Bear, Me Without You. And my friend's band, We're All Broken, were opening. And at those days, I would have done anything to get the fuck out of the house and go on the road. So I did merch for my friend's We're All Broken the entire time. And, you know, 
got pretty familiar with the Minus the Bear guys and the music and their their merch guy, Travis, who became a good friend of mine, who's sadly no longer with us. Um, and I just had this like uh, uh, beautiful experience seeing Minus the Bear every night. And I still get my balls broken by everybody on that tour because apparently I was just obnoxiously pushing Gaslight demos to everyone. <laughs> like like every single band, every member of crew. Like I was just like, here, here's my band. Check it out. You know, being like super obnoxious and over the top. And what's funny about that is like shortly after, maybe even during that exact time, Alex and I from Gaslight were really into Minus the Bear. And... You know, if you listen to some of our early songs, like when I'm running some like straight patterns on the kick and kind of doing four in the floor, when Alex is doing some finger tapping on his guitar, like it's semi-influenced by Minus the Bear. They were a big, um, you know, I, I think a lot of, I bring up this story because I think if anyone's listening as a Gaslight fan, they'd probably be surprised to hear that Minus the Bear was a big influence on us, and it definitely was. Nice. Very, very important band to me. Uh, I'm sorry that Corey couldn't be here. Corey uh, Mershey, the bass player, was originally supposed to be on the call, and he couldn't get on. Um, but he is a, uh, a sweet and excellent person as well. And if anybody has the time you should look up his paintings, which are beautiful. And he does really, really great work. And he also works at an amazing farm called Los Golondrinas in Arizona. Or I'm sorry, in New Mexico, like south of Santa Fe. And it's like a living museum on a 200-acre rural farming valley. So he's really doing some really interesting stuff I was hoping to pick his brain about. So... uh Corey, I miss you. I hope you're well, and I wish you could have been here. We'll get you on on your own show. Yeah, we'll get you. Yeah, that's, you know what? Boom. You know what Corey might be good for, and we got it coming up soon? What's that? Might have to do a new Optimist Club episode. Oh. Corey would be a good one for that. <laughs> okay. He'd be a good one for that. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I would definitely do I love it. I love it. I love the Optimist <laughs> Club. All, the, all those stories, yeah, yeah, are, are said. And now we should uh, listen to this interview. It's going on and we are rolling. All right. That's it. So fancy. Yeah, Brad. <laughs> Brad, go ahead and do your fancy intro now with your cool, with like your Jimmy Kimmel voice. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Going Off Track Podcast, starring <laughs> Benjamin Horowitz. That's not my stage name. It's not my stage name. What's your stage name? Um, uh, uh, Wait, uh, I fucked it up. It's with your host, Benjamin Horowitz, a.k.a. Dr. Glossy Feather Sex. So I did, you know, I actually used to write, I don't know if you remember this a long time ago, you used to be able to put your actual name into this website and it generated your Wu Tang oh, Clan name. Oh yeah, and your or your porn name, right? Well, yeah, porn name I, is just that mathematical formula with the other stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, they I remember had, the Wu Tang one too. Yeah, Wu Tang Generator, and mine was Continental Sugar Boogie. I'll always remember that. <laughs> Good name, right? So, if you ever need a go-to, giving me an intro here, Brad. You know, it's just. 
default to Continental Sugar Boogie. Okay. Okay, Conti. No, the poor name <laughs> is it's your uh, it's your first pet and your mother's maiden name. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Wasn't one of them like the street you lived on? That's another one. That's your middle uh, name and the street you grew up on. There's two. Dave, can I play this game with you? Who I'd love I'd love okay. to. I've only I've only heard this with the uh with the street. Yeah, and, so uh, give me your first the, pet and your mom's maiden name. Well, the first pet was my sister's rabbit and the name was Bonbon. Oh, good start. <laughs> Uh, and then my mom's middle name is Texie. Oh my god! Uh, so it'd be Bon Bon Texie. But if you do the street name, <laughs> right, that's better because then it would be Bon Bon Ruby. Oh my goodness, Dave! These are some of the best I've heard. So I, I don't know. Born you, for it. <laughs> <laughs> What's yours, Brad? Wait, it's for. Give me all right. Here's the two. Give me which first formula pet, are we doing? First, first pet, pet and, and mom's, mom's middle name. name. Maiden name. Oh, I'm not going to say that. That's like a security question. Oh, pfft. okay. <laughs> Let's go middle name then. I like that. It's pet and social security number. First pet. <laughs> First pet. <laughs> Wait, I'm trying to think. We had like three dogs before I was like three well, years old. And I'm imagining from where you're from, you had probably like a pet worm. A I pet think spider. I'm going to go with... Uh, so I think my first dog's name was Bark. <laughs> I'm not good. kidding. I named the dog and I was like two years old. Wow. You're already at the... But then my my mom's middle name is K. peak of ingenuity all, so all the way back Bar-K. then. Bark K. Bark K. Okay. Bark K. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> and then what's the, the uh, street you grew up on and middle name? So middle name and street you grew up on. Wait, whose middle name? Yours. Brad Mountain. (laughs) (laughs) Man, these are good. (laughs) These are really better than I thought. This is usually disappointing. Well, welcome to the show. Brad Mountain is here with... uh, With your co-host and producer, Brad Mountain. (laughs) So hi, Dave. How's it going? It's going well. Yeah. How's uh, family life out in Seattle? You doing good? What's your yeah. uh, What's your day to day like these days? Family life is good. I mean, got the got the almost ten year old back in school, so that's the most exciting part because nice. you know yeah. no one wants uh, no one wants me as a teacher because that's just yeah. a, a big failure right there. So was that uh, a lot? A lot of last year for you was attempting to be a teacher. Yeah, I mean, it was more just like hovering. Well, not even hovering, just like checking in every ten minutes or twenty right. minutes. What are you doing? <laughs> right, right. Are you are you, are you watching Fortnite Fortnite YouTube videos instead of <laughs> uh, doing your Microsoft Teams call? Like, <laughs> right? Can you yeah. stop listening to Juice World while your teacher is talking? Oh, yeah. I love. I I'm going to go to you for my contemporary references now. You see my <laughs> point? This is good. Oh man, he, it's the only reason I know any of this stuff about pop music is because my son is just all over my Spotify account. So um, I love right. that. You know, That's, yeah. yeah, yeah. I got I got like an Imagine Dragons tune up at the top of my playlist these days. It's, it's not for go. me. Not for me. Yeah, 
It's all uh, it's all Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber and Juice World these days. <laughs> but you know, what are you gonna do? Uh, you got to roll with it, right? No one, and, no yeah, one I mean, likes least... an ugly, self righteous old man. You know, you gotta <laughs> you gotta pretend to be into it, almost, right? Yeah, I mean, at some point, his, I'm I'm hoping, I'm guessing his music taste will change. But uh, you know, it's at least cool that he's into music. So, do you have yes. that thing? You know, since you're a musician, does uh, this is your son? Yeah, yeah. Uh, does your son like kind of try to like pander to that? Like, oh, my dad's a musician, so I'm going to play him this cool new thing. I want to impress him, or are you just like dorky dad and he doesn't care? Well, it's kind of both. Like he he. I don't know that he totally understands. I mean, I guess now he does understand like the music aspect of my life and what I've been doing <laughs> with my life. But right. a lot of times it's kind of like, you know, there was a long time of like, why don't you have a real job? Like all my other, <laughs> you know, like, what right, are you doing? Right. Yeah. You have the studio in your, you know, in the basement, but like, what do you do all day? Yeah. Um, but, but he's really into like, uh, he's got this drum pad machine oh, uh, cool. app on his, uh, on his iPad. So so now at this point he's constantly like trying to like write little beats with it um and and then record them and he's like dad listen to this and I listen to it and it's pretty cool I mean it's all like whacked out and out of time and the samples are kind of janky but um <laughs> but it, but it's cool that he's doing it and he's got like he's got some like drive and motivation to make something that he likes so I, you I don't like tell him his samples are janky right Not no yet. no no i'm like do you should get a different pack for that like, man. yeah you listen, should get a dude. different uh yeah. you might want to get a different loop pack you should ask me about loops but um it's real he, good he, bud he, but tighten it up huh exactly man <laughs> like you gotta like work on your sounds and your production and you know <laughs> What so. what's the difference like his uh entry into you know electronic music compared to your entry must be far different i mean even technology wise like you know when you're coming out of botch and getting into different kinds of music like what were you first tinkering with like sampling drums and doing samples on like what actual machine were you using well, I mean, the only time I was really sampling stuff was just into the into like different guitar pedals, right? Right, I mean, right. I've only recently started, um, you know, over the last since the band's over, started like really getting into like recording and oh, okay. um, and doing production and stuff like that. I mean, when the band was going, I was just more focused on writing the songs, and you know, Alex was in the band and he was a huge studio nerd, so right, it was kind of right. like one of those things where. I know you can take care of like recording practices and making great demos and, you know, think about, you know, the logistics of the recordings and whatnot. I'll right. just be over here, like writing parts and songs. And, yeah. You had like the in-house pro there. Yeah, exactly. And so now that the band's over, it's like now I'm kind of like finding a lot of, um, I don't know, like fun, just learning about that stuff and, you know, recording and kind of, uh, catching up for, for lost time in terms of my knowledge in that sure. world. So is it, is it, um, born of necessity because you're, uh, you know, seems like this is the first time you're trying to really piece together things yourself outside of a band context, or did you do that, you know, writing songs for, you know, minus the bear, did you do it separately? Or is this the first time you're really taking a stab at it totally by yourself? I mean, there were times when I did a, where I would demo songs, um, 
you know, somewhat poorly for the band and right. then bring them to the band and whatnot. Um, but that was always just with the understanding that this was never going to be anything that people ever heard. It was just more to document the idea and kind of share it with people. But yeah, I mean, when the, when the band ended, um, and I started working with my buddy, Sam, um, Sam Bell, who did the last MTB record, okay. we started recording, um, some of my solo stuff or my new project. And that was, you know, we started in a studio and we were there and it was like, why are we here? It's just the two of us. Like, why are we running out this like awesome, <laughs> right. you know, like studio where like a full band would be to record. Yeah, like we can just right. do this in your house. So then we, you know, built this studio in my house and that was, it was somewhat, somewhat out of necessity, but now I just find it like, I don't know. I find it like wildly creative to just come down here and be able to, you know, kind of like put down whatever is in my head. Like I think like a lot of guitar players, you always, you always also are very, very interested in drums. And I kind of always wanted mm-hmm. to be a drummer uh-huh. and I know that'll never happen. But now at this point I'm like, Oh, well I can just like program all the <laughs> stuff that has been in my head for years. Yeah. So it actually sounds pretty, pretty cool. good these days. So yeah, it's, not, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> so <laughs> have you, uh, there is the danger though, that, that you uh you know you have this brilliant idea you you run into your studio and you grab your guitar and then you're like wait a minute maybe i should i'll put down a drum beat first to like to help inspire me and then you start getting into the drums and next thing you know you've forgotten your riff dude totally no it's, (laughs) it's 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 true like i try to um like write the guitar parts or the bassist you know, like the, mo- the the basic parts before I come down here, just because right. I know that that's going to happen, and I'll get sucked into like the production element of it. It was, um, that's you know, I've been doing this for like a year and a half, like really in earnest recording down here, and my wife uh, and my kid left for like three or four days. And I was like, I'm just going to play guitar through an amp, and I'm not going to record mm. anything into a DAW until I have like stuff written. And it was amazing to kind of like um flip back to the old school way of doing it where it's just like sheer volume coming out of an amp as yeah. opposed to like out of like studio monitors where everything's like a little more safe and right you know like predictable sounding so so moving forward it's going to be pretty fun to actually like kind of i don't know go jump back and forth between the two and yeah definitely be mindful of not like losing the initial idea in the software Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one the one thing that I've had home studios for years and years cuz I've been an engineer and whatnot, but um the one thing that within the first couple of years I realized that I always had to do was have a mixer set up with like you know whatever like usually maybe a keyboard a synth, a guitar uh my guitar amp maybe plugged into it, but just so that like I could instantly get sounds like totally. for, for that, for when you have that inspiration, instead of like booting up the computer, launching Pro Tools, <laughs> making a new track, you know, that whole like fucking insanity. Also, yeah. I used to always keep like just like a digital recorder, like right next to the desk to just throw shit down on. Even, you know, even though I would I had the luxury of like massive Pro Tools studio in front of me. Come on, that's what the iPhone is for. Or the iPhone, yeah. This is. I mean, I I actually did that the other day. I was, like, watching football because, you know, when I'm watching football, I always have, like, a guitar in my hand. Yeah. Um, And so I was, like, noodling around, and I came up with something, and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. So I just, like, have this super shitty little Epiphone battery-powered amp, and I just put my 
phone in front of it, recorded it, and then ended up just like throwing it in the logic. Yeah. And that's, and that's the guitar sound. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah. You know, yeah, you can yeah. like fuck with it and tweak it a bit and then, add, you know, embellish it with other, with other guitar tracks and whatnot. But like the, the, like the core guitar sound is just my phone recording this shitty little amp in my living room. Yeah. I, I had a handheld cassette recorder for years that that finally shit the bed, but it was the same deal. Like I tried to keep it going because every now and then I'd get, you know, I'd like put an idea, especially like I used to, I have a Wurlitzer 200, you know, the electric piano Yeah, and that thing into this little handheld cassette recorder used to sound amazing. And it was the same thing. Like I do like a riff on the Wurlitzer and record it on that, on that, cassette deck and it just sounded so cool because it had this like natural like shitty compression built into the cassette recorder totally and like i made so many loops from from just you know recording ideas and that i couldn't yeah then the vibe was so thick that i couldn't go back and you know re-record well then like sometimes you know recreating something like that is so difficult too because you kind of like are attached to all the little mistakes and the nuances oh yeah yeah and like you're saying like the shitty compression or like the tone is like bad, but so unique in like a cool way yeah. that, you know, you could try for ages to get something yeah. that cool, but it just doesn't have the same vibe. I mean, it's kind of like the, you know, being, you know, in the band, you know, we, I think Chickarelli, when we were doing Omni kept talking about this because he would say like, you know, you guys just have too much demoitis. There's so much <laughs> demoitis going on because, uh, yeah, yeah. because we like for that record specifically, like, we demoed the fuck out of those songs. And so a lot of times it was like, well, on the demo, yeah. on the demo, we want to do this like on the demo. And, and, you know, he's like, well then just fucking release the demo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, sometimes you just like the vibe is just so strong that that's what you gotta, gotta use. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's got the juice, the magic. Yeah. It's, fu- it's funny you talk about that, especially in context with your son. Cause you know, you know, from so many years of playing and the fact that you, you know, started playing kind of uh, pre the boom of digital music, you know, you knew that you got to a point that you're like, all right, I need to plug into an amp. I need to hear it like this. I need to get these sounds and let it free. But someone like, you know, well, your son might know it because he knows you, but, (laughs) um, you know, a, a different kid coming up through digital music, like, they they might not even have any concept of that, right? Like like they're coming up just hardwired into their programs from the start, programming from the start, and this idea of like a drum set in a live room or a guitar loud right. through a live amp. Like they don't even know those sounds, do they? No, and it's funny. It's funny you say that because like you know, like through working on all these songs and like using virtual instruments and all this stuff. At some point, you know, like you're writing stuff, and it's like unless there's like a like a guitar that's kind of like fucked up or like some like weird mistakes or whatever. It's just like way too pure or not pure, but it's like way too just like robotic. Right. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like music to me unless mm-hmm. there's something like raw or natural. Right. You well, know, like with, with natural playing to it, you know, like obviously, you know, you can go through and not have everything quantized and all that shit. Um, but like sometimes the sounds are just so like, if I if I see your MIDI notes on the screen, I'm like, this isn't music. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. you know, like it's got to be like I got to do something here to you know make it interesting and like human. Yeah, not just know. not just Skynet. You know, 
Sky- yeah, yeah, it's exactly. basically Skynet speaking to you if you don't yeah. add anything. Like well, that. music is mistakes. I mean, let's face it. The d- feel, feel is the drummer hitting, you know, one of his drums on the not on the beat. That's what feel totally. is, you know. Wow, so well, like, well, well, well. Now I'll stand up for myself. <laughs> now that I'm talking to All two, right. listen, I know I'm in fucking axe heaven here, but if there's one thing I can stand up to drummers for. The good drummers, Brad, we know how to move around on a click. I That's what play, I mean. I That's can what push I'm a click a little ahead. I can bring it yeah. a little behind. You got to push it. But I'm all still that. on time, guy, you know? But the definition <laughs> of feel, like, you know, hitting, I mean, only you know, you have to be really good to hit hit your snare behind the beat, you yeah. know? That's different. Or you just that, have to listen to a lot of early to mid-70s Isaac Hayes records, and then it's just <laughs> super easy. Trust me, it's just right there for you. So, Dave, you're you're going into the basement, and it seems like you have, uh, you know, a good like year and a half of work going. So, what what's um, you know, is anything really formed? Like, what's what's uh, this work going towards currently? Um. Well, I mean, I so I just finished the the LP for my new project, which Ooh. um which I'm pretty stoked about. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, it's, I've been working with my buddy, Sam Bell, who did the last MTV record. And so he, you know, produced it. Um, I wrote the music, uh, you know, he helped with, with some of that stuff. He helped with some of the drum programming, but a lot of that I ended up doing myself, which was really fun. What's kind of the vibe, vibe musically there? Um, I don't know. It's like big, um, you know, there's, I mean, if you, it's kind of a, it's hard to say, man. It's like a collection of <laughs> kind of like all the stuff I've done. There's lots of loops. There's lots of big, huge, um, guitar, you know, it's, there's a lot of guitar moments on the record, but each song, um, so it's 10 songs and there's, uh, guest vocalists all over it. Right. So uh, there's, okay, cool. so there's like five different guest vocalists and then Sam, uh, same sang a few songs himself. So it's kind of like soundtracky in a way because each song has its own, um, vibe in terms of the lyrics and the and and the voices that come in and out that's fun and did you when you sent the songs to singers did you have you know any concepts for lyrics or melody or you're just like you know have at it um a lot of times it was kind of have at it like i didn't have any concepts for lyrics necessarily but we would we would focus on writing a lot of uh you know, like top line melodies. Mm. Um, and some of those for the acoustic or for the instrumental songs, the two instrumental songs, um, obviously those melodies are in there. And sometimes we would use the melodies for the other songs, for, you know, as the kind of like a guide for the vocalist right. where they would, um, you know, go off on their own and we would realize, Oh, Hey, like they came up with a really great part. Like let's, you know, let's now use that as the melody for this bit. Right. Um, that sounds like so much fun. Yeah. So it was, it was really cool. I mean, I, you know, I wrote like so much shit. I mean, there's some stuff, you know, probably like upwards of like 20 different things. Right. And so right. 10 are on the record and then some of the other stuff will come out, um, next year as, you know, like collaborations with other people or, um, or other little projects here and there. But, um, but yeah, it's been really, uh, I don't know. It's been exciting to be creative in a new way. Yeah. So that sounds I'm, fun. I'm really looking forward to with all that, that collaboration. Uh, can you, uh, say any of the singers that you've been working with or uh yeah i mean uh bayonne uh is on one of the tracks we toured with him um julia from the coat hangers is on a song 
uh let's see jake did a song um cool. a buddy from of sam's from the uk uh did a song he's in a band called the sand band and they were uh hmm. they were on dove's label for a while so oh, okay. he's got that super awesome like really deep british tone Ooh, yeah um and that that song is is one of is one of the highlights for me um but yeah it's, it's uh it's cool so i also kind of want to use it as like a uh the record is somewhat of like a i don't know like a not a showcase but just like this is kind of what i want to do moving forward is like sure. write with people and write for people so it's kind of like hey here's here's the vibe that i am you know that i like to write it like let's let's do some shit yeah so, are you kind of, you know, um, are you hoping that that one of these vocalists or something turns into something that you can do more full or this is going to be the the spirit of the project or you have no idea yet? <laughs> I don't really have any idea. Yeah. I don't really have any idea. But <laughs> <Right>. like it, <clears throat> in theory, I think the spirit of the project will be um, hopefully will be me collaborating with other vocalists and musicians and, and kind of making unique songs that either live on their own or come together as like an album ah, so that seems fun that's exciting I'm, I'm stoked to hear that yeah thanks man i'm i'm uh i'm excited to get it out it's been a long time uh working on it so it's next year is poised to be a lot of uh a lot of music being released so that's yeah um, i can imagine that's, awesome. that's t- i mean you know i i know from my experience of the last like three, four five years too, like when you're working so hard, but you have to like really convince people that you're working. Cause you're not actually <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> like I'm not just sitting in this fucking, I'm not on Fortnite YouTube, you know, I promise yeah, I'm like, working. Like this is all going to result in something. Right. Like, the culmination is just around the corner. I think everyone just imagines like, Jason Siegel at the beginning, forgetting Sarah Marshall, just eating like giant bowls of cereal and a robe, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really stoked to hear all this. This is gonna be fun. Does it have a no, name yet? Uh, not yet. It's uh, I'm talking to a couple different labels at the moment, so um, it's kind of nameless. I have a few ideas, but that's like the hardest part, right? It's like I don't right. know. I feel like uh, I. I don't want to name the project David Knudsen because that's just lame and it's <laughs> right. not necessarily the spirit of the project. And then my other bands all have such shitty names. It's like, <laughs> I'm really bad at like naming bands like botch. Like we literally opened up a dictionary and looked for a word and it was like, Oh, all right. We're all, we're, we're 17 years old. We'll just be. Oh botch. yeah. But those were the days of just having one <laughs> faintly dark word. As your band name, everyone had it, you know. Yeah, it's like it's Bodge, Trial, Undertale. You know, like yeah. it was all. Yeah. In context, I think it, it was. It's a good name for sure. It is a good name. <laughs> well, I mean, really, any any name can be good. It's all about like the music and what they achieve, right? I mean, it's not like right. Pink Floyd is a great band name. No, I mean, dude, think know, about what? think about Green Day. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, Pearl Jam. Yes, you too. Exactly. <laughs> These are the worst <laughs> band names ever. Yeah, ever. Uh, so going back to botch, I I had to. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes my mind plays tricks on me, and I have memories that aren't real. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking back, and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure I went to a diner with botch in the late '90s after Where- a show. 
Where would this have been? It would it would have been in Highland Park, New Jersey, uh-huh. the day after playing in New Brunswick. You would have played at the Melody Bar in New Brunswick. Yep. You would have s- stayed at Chris Ross's house, uh-huh. who was the drummer from Nora. Yep. And the following morning, probably me and a bunch of other scummy friends of Chris. <laughs> Joined all of you for breakfast at Penny's Diner in Highland Park. So we had a meal together when I was like 19, the day after a bot show. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I I don't remember that diner specifically. I do remember what was this? Would this have been a Dylan? Would Dillinger have played on this show? They may have been on the I think you guys played there twice. And I think Dillinger may have been on one of them. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, there's man, a the good chance bar. in those days that yeah, that Dillinger see, the was Melody Bar was so much fun. I think uh, uh, was was this a show where there were like there were naked people flying around? Did <laughs> Brian get naked? Uh yeah, maybe because it was a pretty wild show, and and that was that was one of the reasons I brought it up was because I was like Chris, like so I I'm good friends with Chris, who is the promoter of this show, still good friends, uh-huh. and. I was like, what are some memories that like stand out to you about that show? I want to share some of these with you because I thought you would think they're funny. <laughs> One quote was, their drummer was super crabby, but in a fun way. <laughs> is that is that fairly accurate? Or? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> um, that was that kind of just, um, I don't know, that was just a vibe sometimes. Right, you know? yeah. I mean, ultimately, I probably he was annoyed that he had to carry all that shit up all those stairs. Oh, the melody had Um, not a good load in. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Tim always, I mean, he always played well, but you know, he's an intense dude and he's fairly like, he can be very contrarian. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he can be a little, uh, a little feisty and I love, um, I mean, you can hear it in the playing, right? Like, Oh yeah, absolutely. And he wrote at the end of this, he says, I remember the drummer at the end being like, when this is done, I'm taking this kit and selling it and never playing ever again. We, <laughs> we thought he was kidding, but I actually think he did it. <laughs> I, well, I, he, he didn't do it, but there, there were a lot of, uh, like a lot of like threatened, um, I'm done with this sort of right, vibes right. sometimes, you know, depending on, on the show or the mood or whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, he never like sold a drum kit and just said like later. And yeah. Then, right. Right. And then, you know, hitched a ride home with somebody. Or Is that what happens when you take a jazz dude and make him play like hardcore shows? I was going to say, yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're just, they're, they're not comfortable with the toil. <laughs> right, right, exactly. It's a, it's a, it's beneath them. <laughs> yeah, and then he told me, and he said the second time through, the guitarist was using a chaos pad, and it was the yeah. fucking best thing ever. <laughs> um, I don't even know what that is. What is a chaos pad? Uh, so a chaos pad was like intended to be used by like a DJ to yeah. like <laughs> okay to like fuck up, you know, like whatever songs they're playing um right and so it was like this you know there's this little um pad obviously on it that's like an xy axis and it has these different effects and depending on where you move your finger it like changes the effects and they can be anywhere from like weird just like delays to like 
chorus, we're, you know, chorusing stuff to like distortions, but there were some that were just like super filthy and like would just destroy the, the signal right, um, right. In, in a fairly interesting way. And so, yeah, there were a couple moments during songs where there was like a loop going. Yeah. Um, and so I would, I would, you know, go back to this little pad that was on top of my amp and just kind of like go nuts with it um, awesome. from there. But yeah, that was kind of a, that was a pretty cool thing. That was a, that was a suggestion from Matt Bayless. Actually. He was All like, right. have you seen this thing? He was like, this might be kind of cool. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I think, I think the dude from like, I don't know, a few years ago, the dude from Muse like had one built into his like guitar. Oh really? I don't know if you've seen that. Like it's, like past like the you know towards the end of the of the body of the guitar and i feel like he had something like that built yeah. into it so he could like noodle around with it you know with his like picking hand while he right. was you know like playing with his well, left I, hand but, i heard that dude's got a couple extra dollars laying around you know? yeah yeah <laughs> I, I think he's got people that can do that yeah i think yeah. so um yeah. he also said at the melody mike mowry was tming them Oh, yeah. And they covered up all the windows for the light show. He had to climb up about 15 feet to cover the circle window at the top. (laughs) Um, Now, this part I really remember because, you know, if you were that age in 99, I was I was 17, 18 as well. And I mean, I was actually not even allowed at the Melody Bar most of the time. And uh, they just let me in because they liked me. And (laughs) but I remember specifically at that show. You know the um, you know the low parts of a botch song where you know you're you're just on a the simple beat and the bass line and and then the fucking room just went pitch black and I'm like oh my god what the fuck is happening right now and all of a sudden the part would kick back in and the lights would kick back on and it was honestly one of those like what the fuck is happening kind of experiences for me like seeing a show because a lot of bands you know like you said you know, maybe musically, you know, you guys were taken from dead guy, but they weren't doing anything like that live. Dillinger didn't start doing that stuff live. I think until maybe after you guys. Um, So (laughs) like what, like what was the, you know, I I think about the time you came from and like, you know, this uh, mid to like late nineties Seattle thing going on. And it kind of had this real vibe to it like that. Like, what what was the, um, I guess the real impetus for trying to do something like that at that time? Yeah, because it mean, was so different. Like, I mean, I think you know, obviously, we, um, well, you know, when we started playing, everything in Seattle was really more like youth crew style, right. hardcore kind of stuff, right. or like undertow kinds of things. Um, but you know, Brian and I specifically, we were always still really into like, uh stuff that wasn't just straight up like old school youth crew hardcore. So it was like, you know, we'd listen to like morbid angel and then we'd like, Mm. you know, go down to Olympia and watch an unwound show or, you know, like any of those like K or kill rock stars records bands or whatever. And then it was like, Oh, this, what's this like shit coming out of San Diego? The, the gravity stuff like Mm. angel hair or heroin or Mohinder or those, those types of bands. So, I think we had, we pulled from a lot of different influences, which is why musically, um, you know, it kind of like stood out more than say the other stuff that was coming out of Seattle at the time. Yeah. Um, 
And for a while, you know, like people didn't really like us here because of that, right? Like we didn't oh, like right. fit into that thing. So it took us a while to like um, win people over. But one of the big turning points was the Ink and Dagger tour, oh. which was in 97. And I think, you know, after touring the U.S. with them, it was, it you know, it wasn't like all of a sudden we were like, we need to step up our game and be like, you know, have a show, but it was more like, you know, they would dress up yeah. or, you know, do the face paint thing. And sometimes they had someone doing lights or whatever. And it was more of a, there was more to it than just the music. Sure. And, you know, for the live show. And so I think, you know, we Which were was like, almost like we... looked down upon at the time, right? Like it was like, totally. Yeah, like you're yeah. being like a rock star, like exactly. if you're doing anything extra, right? Yeah. And so I think, you know, subconsciously it was kind of like, well, how do we take this to the next level? you know, how can we make the show even more intense? And so I don't remember exactly. I feel like maybe the first time we did it was just like on a one-off show and like somewhere in random like Oregon or something. And we were like, let's just bring these work lights around and have like, I don't know if it was Ben Varellen or, you know, Dave's brother or something come and like, just like turn them on and off when the songs uh, like kicked in or whatever. And then, um, and then ultimately it kind of became a thing that, you know, seeing people's faces, like, like kind of like what you were talking about, like it's dark during this like quiet moment or this section of the song. And then all of a sudden, like these lights come on and, you know, Dave starts jumping around and going nuts and mm-hmm. the, the the crowd is illuminated and everyone is just like losing their minds. It added like a, just a cool, intense element to the, to the show. Um, yeah. And, and I don't know. It was just like, and then it just kind of like became the thing that we did. Right. Um, it, it just kind of like became the, that's, that's like the bot show. That's what, that's what's going to happen. I love it. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned Dillinger because like, so we did a tour with Jesuit and Dillinger mm-hmm. and they were opening, right? Like this is like, right. When just like the first seven inch or whatever, right. under the running board came out. Yeah. <laughs> and I, like a year or two later, I remember, I remember Ben Weinman. He was like, yeah, as soon as that tour was over, we drove to Milwaukee Metal Fest or whatever it was. And on the way, we were like, first stop, Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like, as soon as we left that tour with you the very next show, we had a bunch of halogen lights that we had. Like, That's right. I don't know, Tom Apostolopoulos or someone in their crew, like, turning on and off. And uh-huh. it, was, it was like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Which was also funny because then we went to Europe together and it was like, well, sh- can, can we just all share the same house? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, can we just all share the same strobes and stuff so we don't have to like double up on this shit? That's so funny, man. Yeah. So for my, you know, I, I wasn't like intimate with the experience. Um, so, you know, when Minus the Bears coming together, like post botch, you know, there's sort of this very like romantic, um, you know, story about you all kind of living in the same neighborhood and like, yeah. you know, drinking at the same bar and it kind of happening like, like really organically. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about like, you know, not only, you know, putting Minus the Bear together, which I'm sure you've talked a lot about, but it's another one of those things that, you know, I noticed like a theme in your career, which is if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it differently and we're going to do something new. And so the idea to me that, um, you popped from botch to minus the bears, it's hard to see. And, and I wonder what those conversations were like early to really like, uh, 
put together the lineup and and kind of get the sound going in the direction it did. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, you're totally right. Like the, uh, you know, we all kind of knew each other from the Seattle scene at first, right. From playing with each other's bands like Jake and sharks and then Aaron and Corey and kill Sadie. Um, you know, the first time I met Corey actually, which is too bad he's not here, but the first time I met Corey, we were at this bar that we used to always go to the cha-cha lounge and he was wearing an econo Christ shirt. Okay. <laughs> and, and I was like, I was like, who's that dude? I've never, I haven't seen anyone wearing a Kano Christ shirt right. in Seattle. That's like, unique, yeah. Forever. And I was like, I, I should go say hi to this dude. So, you know, <laughs> like that's that's how we became friends was because he was wearing the shirt in the bar. So, I mean, um, she just put like, hey, cool shirt, bro. Like, <laughs> I, I have no idea. What, <laughs> I, I wonder what your but, pickup line was. Though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so it was very organic the way we met. Um, but, you know, so... The last few years of botch, um, you know, like I, I don't know. We all like were really fatigued on like touring and only playing with like the local or whatever metal band was in town or a hardcore band or whatever. Like it was just like really hard for us because in the van we, we would not listen to that kind of music at all, right? So I think all right. of our, in, our all of our interests were kind of like or influences were were starting to change and whatnot um it was really hard for us to write after romans um and i was only i was writing stuff that was way more in the vein of like don caballero or like i don't know ripping off a built to spill song or like wow, okay. doing yeah. doing doing something that that was like not um not botchy in any way right um so when i met you know aaron and rehearse and, and you know practice with him for the first time in minus the bear. It was like, I mean, it was kind of like a revelation playing with a drummer that wasn't that was more into like maybe dance and R and B grooves mm. rather than something that was like more jazzy and technical and okay, yeah, and whatnot. And so I think in that instant we kind of like both realized there's some fairly unique stuff that the two of us t- together can kind of. Um, can kind of create and was Aaron as a drummer, like was Aaron doing that kind of stuff prior to minus the bear? Um, cause it really is. It it is very unique, especially that the real dancey four on the floor stuff. I mean, you just really weren't hearing much of that at the time. Yeah. I think we were also like, kind of like all searching for new inspiration and, you know, we all kind of stumbled across like, you know, early Daft Punk records and, Mm. um, you know, like basement jacks and other stuff like that kind of like together. And, you know, you know, what's funny is that those like really early van rides that you do, you (laughs) know, where you're like, where you're like listening to the same music and someone's, you know, like Aaron's always sitting shotgun with me and I'm driving and it's like, Oh shit, listen to this, blah, blah, blah. And you just kind of like have this, this mind meld of, uh, of, of, influences kind of just like coming together then it's um i don't know fairly unspoken thing but then when you start playing with each other it's like you just you're on the same page from like the first note what a beautiful Um, strange cocktail that is isn't it yeah exactly i mean it's it's truly like a i don't know like a indescribable feeling it is yeah Um, it is and so i mean i so i think everything kind of just like took off from there we all wanted to do something that wasn't you know, Aaron was in Kill Sadie. He didn't want to do something that was like screamy and crazy. Um, you know, I I wanted to do a 180 from Botch. 
Um, and so it kind of just, you know, grew out of, uh, the desire to change things up. Yeah. Yeah. And what was like the, do you remember like the first song that you came up with that you're like, all right, this is like, this is the direction. Like, like, was there anything like that that really kickstarted it like that way? Um, well, the first time we rehearsed or practiced together, like I had like two songs worth of riffs that weren't necessarily like arranged or whatever. And so within the first practice, we had had like, you know, like the first two songs off the first EP were like, boom, like here they are. I mean, it was kind of just like we hit the ground running. It, it was, yeah. it was fairly cool. Like, I mean, I guess it wasn't in, I should I should go back a minute. We rehearsed without Jake a few times, and Corey and I were like, "Oh, we can just sing. We can do this." <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so, so, so there were a couple practices where, like, yes. Corey and I were like, "Oh man, like one of us could sing. This will be great." Blah blah blah. And then you know, it was evident, like, okay, <laughs> like we need to find someone to sing, right? Um, and we were all friends with Jake. And, uh, you know, we loved sharks and we thought he had a unique voice. And did you actually it be... give it a stab? Did you try to sing? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah we had yeah. like mics and shit and we were trying to sing through this. There any recordings was... of you uh, and Corey as the lead singers? There are not. Oh, bummer. Bummer. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> um, if there were only iPhones in those days, uh, I would have been able yeah, to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> so thankful that this technology was not so uh, <laughs> right. advanced back then. Um, but yeah, so then it was just kind of like, okay, we need, uh, we need someone to sing. Yeah, and uh, and Jake had heard a couple of things that we had kind of like demoed without vocals, right? Um, and he was like, oh yeah, this is awesome. So, did you have any? Uh, did you have? I mean, you said you had a little backlash from the like metal side of things. Was there like grumpy fucking old hardcore kids about the fact that you were doing something that different? Uh. I think they were, I don't, I, honestly, I have no idea. I think people were just kind of like surprised that it was something that was that different. Right. You know? Um, but at that point, like I had kind of, you know, I had kind of moved on personally from wanting to separate myself from that, that scene in general. Yeah. Cause I did, I think I just needed a break. Like, it's funny. I was talking to Brian the other day and I think like if we, if, if Botch had just said like, well, let's just like not do anything for like, six or nine or 12 months or whatever, and then see what happens. Like we probably would have come back somewhat re-energized. Yeah. Made, made more botch songs. But in the moment it was just like, you know, tour, 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 record, tour, get burnt out. And then it was like, eh, okay. That, one more tour record. Then we're done. Band, um, bands are always so dramatic. You know, yeah, it's what? like, it's like you didn't have to break up. You right. know, like <laughs> guys could have just chilled out for a minute, you know, <laughs> like it always happens like that. <laughs> yeah. But it, I mean, in the moment, you're kind of just like, it doesn't yeah. seem like that at all is a possibility, right? No, just, no. You're yeah. I mean, usually um, emotions are at a level at that point. Right? But that's what makes, you know, you know, that's what makes bands great is that they're, you know, overly emotional and reactionary. And yeah, right. that's the energy, man. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. I guess the ones that are very uh diplomatic from the start maybe don't won't get anywhere um <laughs> or they're just boring <laughs> or they're boring yeah so i mean um you know we're not gonna have to go through like i'm not gonna make you go through like all six minus the bear records and how all came to be and this and that but i have some funny some fun questions i want to ask you about your time with minus the bear yeah let's do it so 
After all these years being on the road, I guess this is botch included too. What are the top three places that you have to eat on the road? A stop you have to make every time you're in that city. Oh man. Um, what are some of these places? Uh, I mean, every time we're in DC, I would always go to Ben's Chili Bowl. Oh, Ben's. <laughs> a godlike place. I love this place. Uh, and that, and you know, that was always a fun place to go to. Um, I don't think Bill Cosby eats for free anymore, though. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just the Obamas now. Because <laughs> that is, have you seen? I haven't. I don't know. For anyone who's listening who doesn't know what we're talking about, Ben's Chili Bowl is a very, very famous spot in the U District in D.C. And there used to be famously like uh, something on the cash register that says like no free food. Except for Bill Cosby and the Obamas. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I think Bill might have been, Bill might have, I hope he got nixed off the register by now. Yeah, I haven't been sure. there since the whole Cosby situation. So I, well, if can't anyone's say, but... listening, uh, write, write us into the program. I'm curious. Yeah. All right. So Ben's Chili Bowl, I agree with you there. That's a classic. Um, but you God. can't go before the show, right? Uh, can't go to Ben's pre. No, but then, well, yeah, we. I've been many. Yeah, you have to go in the afternoon. I don't know. It gives you enough time to like work it out before yeah, you get on stage. Sweat it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, just in general, when you're when you're in that part of the country, like, there's nothing better than going to like a Waffle House, right? And getting like you know breakfast for dinner. Yes, like after you know super late night. Um, <laughs> there was. <laughs> I don't know if I should tell this story, but there was a, uh, on the circus survive co-headlining tour we did, um, one of the guitar players got kicked out because we went to a, God, what, how did this story happen? He was drunk, obviously. Right. And we went to the, uh, went to, um, waffle house and he showed up and he, somehow he was like all bloody or whatever and and he got in but then the he had to have like a his tech came with him and was like we got you guys he wanted to sit with us and we were like it felt bad but he was like dude we can't sit with you <laughs> like you got to go sit by yourself and then his tech showed up and they sat alone um uh, that's not a very good story i'm sorry um, <laughs> but the, you got but i, I mean i, I guess it just goes to show yeah. the, like the like he wasn't kicked out of the Waffle House, even though he was like super hammered and like just bloody. bloody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I gotta he, say, after a certain time of the night, that's that's par for the course. Yeah, the yeah. <laughs> Trying to think of a third place. I'm really, I haven't thought about this in so long. I mean, a lot of times it's honestly, it's for me when we were touring, it wasn't like necessarily about where to go eat. It was about who I was going with. Right. And it was more about like meeting up with friends and saying, which place are we going to go to? Right. Like it sure. was, it was, it was more about like seeing people that you hadn't seen in a long time, which is honestly like in this post minus the bear life. Now that's like one of the most like hard things to adjust mm -hmm. to was just like, right. You know, normally I'm used to like seeing my Boston friends every six months. Like, right. uh, you know, you can mark it on the calendar and now it's like, I haven't seen those people, you know, I haven't seen those, those folks in like two and a half years. I mean, obviously COVID has kind of made that a reality yes, for everyone. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the not seeing people th part of it is, is one of like the, 
the weird sadnesses of post-tour life. Sure. I mean, have you had to come to any kind of, I guess, grips with that? Like, have there been, you know, relationships where you're like, oh, I guess that was just a touring thing? Or have you been able to keep, you know, these friendships just as strong from afar? Uh, I mean, some, you know, some people you realize are, are, you you see, cause they're in they're maybe they're friends with someone else and they're more friend They're like, they're better friends with someone else in the right. band or whatever. And that's fine. But like a tour hang. Yeah. 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 For, for the majority of the, of the real people, it's, you know, it's easy to give a call to somebody or text or whatever. So, but yeah. it's more like that face to face, like interaction. Sure. Sure. That is yeah. tough. Have you considered a podcast. No. <laughs> that, that's why that are you inviting tricks. more people into the space, Brad? <laughs> we, we, we got a little inundated uh, during the pandemic, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, so top of your head, what is the craziest night in the history of minus the bear? Ooh. Uh, I mean. I mean, hands down, it's the night that I got arrested in oh. Miami. Oh, right? I mean, arrested in Miami. Was yeah. This, was Will Smith there? What happened? This is fun. <laughs> uh, well, this was the uh, this was us opening up recursive on the uh, Ugly Organ tour, nice. and so there was a lot of time after the show, and they had a lot of alcohol. Um, Cursive was a drinking band in those days. It, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and it's not like we weren't either. I mean, probably all of our writer went to alcohol at that right, point, right? Um, <laughs> but you know, after the show, we find ourselves at some bar in um, downtown Miami. I get into like Corey and I like are outside, like I mean, fighting in like a fun, like funny way, not necessarily like. <laughs> we're not like angry at each other. It's just like a drunk, like <laughs> we're so fucked up. We're going to fight each other kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we're like outside, he slaps my glasses off. Something happens. Like I chip a tooth. Um, it, you know, it, it, it gets, you know, we're, we're both wasted. We it's end go, up it's all, going a little far. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and at that point, you know, we should have been like, okay, let's settle down, but you're drunk. So you have no idea. Yeah. What's happening. Um, so then like the whole crew of people, like 15 of us, are like, okay, well, let's walk back towards the hotel down by the beach, blah, blah, blah. I somehow get um, separated from everybody. Mm. And the next thing I know, there's like, a, like I'm behind a fence and there's a paddy wagon with like cops coming to get me. What? And I have no idea what's happened. But apparently when I got separated from the people, from the rest of the group, I thought that I was trying to get into some woman's like apartment. Oh, no. Like, like, the, uh, like. I was at the door of her townhouse thinking it was the hotel oh. trying to get in. So I'm banging okay. on the door trying oh. to get in. Yeah. The cops show up Not and on the, pol- on the police report, I'm charged with um, resisting arrest without violence. Cause I guess I was saying, no, 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 don't huh. arrest me. Public <laughs> intoxication. And then on the police report, it says he kept saying, fuck you, you fucking pigs open the gate yourself. Oh. Repeatedly, six or seven times. Oh, so I guess that <laughs> is what resisting arrest without violence means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I was like, I was behind this gate. I couldn't get out between this lady's townhouse oh, and the no. gate in her yard. And oh, I was no. like, "Fuck you, you fucking pigs! Open the gate yourself." Oh. Um, 
so I, yeah, I wonder, the, I wonder so much what your brain was telling you in that moment. Like you're like, yeah, I'm in the right place. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, not one of my finer moments. So then I'm obviously like, you know, I get my mugshot taken. I'm in yeah. the Dade County jail, you know, for the night, like, you know, my glasses are fucked up. They give me like a, uh, I remember they gave me like a sandwich wrapped in like saran wrap and I unwrapped it and put it down. And then immediately there were like cockroaches. Oh, geez. And I was like, no, this is not happening. And then, um, and then Corey and Rob Bass from the TM of cursive bailed me out. They were like, we were calling like hospitals. We didn't know where you went. Oh my God. We were like, yeah, because we to um, them, you just broke off the group, right? Like, you yeah, they didn't anywhere. know where I was. Oh. You know, we were like yeah. finally like called, and they said you were here, and this, and you know, they picked me up at like eight or nine in the morning, but they haven't slept because they've been on the beach all night, like getting even more drunk, <laughs> and, like you know, scoring other shit. So it's like, yeah, right. Um. Anyway, that was that was that's a heck makes of, for a good yeah. makes for a good story, but that's you know. Yeah, that's a heck, heck of a Miami night. It actually could have panned out a lot worse. Like if you if you ran into someone that that wasn't the police or something. At that time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know? No, totally. That would that that could have ended so if much. If you more wandered into more Little life. Havana and started, you know, busting someone's like store down. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. How did that pan out in the long run? Did you have any any issues long term from that, or was able to to, to um, put it to bed after? <laughs> What did I do? I think I just, I think I had to hire a lawyer from Seattle or, I, you know, a, yeah. a local lawyer and we just talked on the phone and he charged me way too much money and got yeah. it off my record. I don't know. That's not, good. Not, not, not the best time. <laughs> Funny. Yeah. You know. So what do you think now, now looking back, like, what would you say is the like quintessential period of minus the bear when do you think you were grooving the most fluidly and just things were you know the easiest and the wheels were just rolling the right way yeah i mean that's gotta be like mano Soloso or planet of ice probably i mean planet of ice was re- or mano Soloso was really when we kind of like started hitting our stride i feel like yeah um pirates was kind of a little it's got some good songs, but it's a little like unfocused. Sure. And, um, it was more of like a first LP in terms of like, these are the songs we have. These are the songs that are going to be on the record type of thing. (laughs) Right. right? Whereas with Oso, we were able to like write everything, you know, like within a constraint, you know, in one period of time in one window and everything was, was a lot more, um, I don't know, just like fit and flowed with each other more. I mean, that's one of those moments where it was, you know, the creativity was kind of like unspoken or the inspiration was unspoken and Mm. it was, um, you know, get in a room and, um, there wasn't a lot of talking. It was just a lot of like looks while you're playing or head nods or, or that kind of thing. Um, and then with Planet of Ice, that's, that's like really when we all started, we were listening to the, you know, like the same kind of like, 70s prog rock kind of stuff um and so we were really in the same headspace for that one too and then um i mean if you're asking for yeah i mean those were definitely the two the two records where we were kind of like firing on all cylinders i feel like omni we i don't know i mean i I still love that record too but it's not it, it we didn't have the same 
camaraderie mm-hmm. and influences. I think we were moving a little apart from each other and it was a little more difficult to like square our ideas with each other's ideas, mm-hmm. um, which makes for a good record sometimes. And I, like I said, I still love that record, but it's just not as you, you can tell that it's the band isn't exactly on the same page like we were on the previous two. I could see that. Yeah, that makes sense. And what do you think like at that period was it just the, uh, you know, the commotion and the energy of just doing record after record and all those tours and you just kind of lose that sense of it a little bit? Like, was it, was that the time you maybe needed to take a pause for a second or something like that? Yeah, you know, maybe. Um, it's funny, like, the like those other two records, also on Planet of Vice, like, we had those titles, like, very early on, right? And so we right. had this, like, title that we were, all the music was sort of, like, aspiring to, like, fit into the vibe of that title. I know Menace uh. also isn't, like, much of a, it's doesn't not it's not really a vibe necessarily, but it was like a moment in Spain where we like named the album and like we knew where it was going to go. Whereas with Omni, it was we didn't know where we were trying to get mm-hmm. right. Um, whereas with Planet of Ice, we knew where we were trying to go, and with Osa, we knew where we were trying to go. Right. Um, now was that Omni, was that different people going in different directions, or was like you know um you know who, like was there like leadership in in one way or the other who was trying to push a certain way and you were pushing another way no i think it's like that classic thing with omni of like a band like trying to get to a different level and like yeah, trying to make right. tr- trying to make a a different sounding record you know like all the other records we've been working with uh matt Bayless and you know, he would produce an engineer and he knew exactly what we were doing. And on Omni, right. it was like, well, let's use a different producer and we're going to go to a different, we're, you know, we're right. going to make this without a label involved and then shop it around. And and I think it was just one of those things where, you know, bands need to do that, right? Yeah. Where they aspire mm-hmm. to change their sound and they want to do something different and experiment. Um, and sometimes the result is amazing. And I think our, I think Omni is a great, fantastic record. It's just different and i and i'm not sure that we knew exactly where we wanted it to finish mm. you know like there wasn't like an end like a like with the title thing there wasn't like a an overarching theme that everything had to fit into so we were kind of like figuring out where we wanted to go yeah. in real time and it seems as if i mean between that and the, it's so so that was kind of like you were you're kind of going for it a little bit at that time yeah. Right. I mean, this is a weird thing to bring up, but it's like at the end of the Planet of Ice tour run, our mode of transportation changed. And I think that that kind of got us off the same page, huh. which is a weird thing to say, right? Like before that, we were all in, we were in vans yeah. and all that stuff. And at sure. the end of Planet of Ice, we were, we started being in buses, right? Yeah. And so like when you're on the bus, it's like everybody has, their own headphones and they're listening to their own thing. Whereas previously, like even if you didn't want to, you were forced to listen to whoever was driving right, right. music. Like if someone was into a new record, like it or not, you you're going to listen to the whole thing. To, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and so I don't know, like sometimes I'll think in hindsight, like, 
God, I wonder what would have happened with Omni if we hadn't got on the bus at the end of the Planet of Ice cycle and huh. we were all just forced to listen to each other's tunes. Yeah, that's interesting. Because it's, because it's so easy to like vibe out to your own shit when you're on a bus. Right. And, you know, at some point you kind of have, you, you know, like you need to, like at some point we needed to, to make the change because of the logistics of like doing the promo and the shows yeah, and sure. the whatever. But, um, but yeah, like the, the whole communal aspect of the van, I think is, is it can be kind of important to like the, to like the creativity. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a really good point. And I guess it's like all those corny things that like some bigger bands do, you know, like, like when we were like 18 and you'd hear about someone like, you know, metal. Oh, they, they go out to, they have a band meeting like once a week or they, uh, you know, they go to therapy together, like something like that. <laughs> right. These are probably like the weird extra steps they actually have to take once you get out of the van. Right. Like, like, because it is, it's so easy to disconnect from each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really interesting. You bring that up. I wonder, like, I wonder if you were able to, to, to like, go on a scale of like a hundred bands and, and see what their mute, like what happened to their music when they went from a van to a bus. I bet there would be like a significant change. I yeah, think I it's, mean, it's also that, you know what? I think though, it's also that moment when it, when you go from us against the world to like yeah. us, like kind of yeah, as a company, you know? Right. That's like, true. The van is a very obvious, like, proletariat sort of like <laughs> you know what i mean yeah well i mean and it kind of has to be by default right because if you're you know driving through the middle of kansas and something happens to the van which can happen at any point like yeah there's you're no driver there's no like this is all of our responsibility to take care of right now or else we're stuck in the middle of kansas right yeah that yeah. is a very unifying thing <laughs> I mean, from the outside, it's interesting to hear it like that because I can hear what you're saying uh, musically, the jump uh, into Omni. But then also I kind of hear like when I listen to some of those songs on Omni, I kind of hear like sort of the the slickest, um, you know, kind of choruses I've ever heard Minus the Bear maybe happening. Like, sure. like real kind of like catchy stuff that, you know, and I noticed that you guys, you know, debuted on Billboard higher than you ever did during Omni. Like, to, well, that was, to a point, like, it worked, right? Like, no, absolutely. And like I said, like, I think that's a great record. But you asked, like, specifically, like, when were we in the groove and why mm, were we in the groove? And and right. so that's why I answered the way I did. Sure. But, yeah, I mean, the, uh, you know, at that point, I think Jake was, Jake and Alex were really into, like, getting the choruses super hooky. And so was Ciccarelli, right? That's why we, right. um, that's why we hired him to, you know, produce and engineer the record was because we loved all the stuff that he had done before. And, and, you know, we thought, and he did help us take those parts and, you know, bring them to a level that we hadn't been able to achieve before. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want it to sound like I'm talking shit about no, no. that record at all. It's just, uh, from a, um, from an insider, from like a band member's perspective, sure. that's like knowing all the, all the little things that were going on. 
Totally. Um, you know, that's kind of what it seems like to me. Yeah. Did you at that time, I mean, how much interest uh, from from majors and stuff were you getting and, and how seriously did you consider that? I mean, we, we at the end of Planet of Ice, I mean, we, there were like pretty much all the majors had yeah, like somebody out at, at a show somewhere here or there. And, you know, some of the conversations were cool and whatever. And it, but it never really got to the place where it seemed like it was going to fit well. Right. Like I remember being at a, we went to one time we were at a meeting at Warner brothers, um, in LA or wherever it is. Um, you know, we were talking about stuff and the, the, whoever it was, was trying to sell us on like the 360 deal, you know? <laughs> right. and, and at that point we're like, we've built the band up to this level. Yeah. Like you're not taking any of our, right. any of our like live tour money because like we built this thing ourselves. Like you don't get any of it. Right. You yeah. know, like the merchandise was great. The ticket sales were great, all that stuff. And, and you know, and he looks at us and he's like, well, you don't think of it as a 360 deal. You think of it as a 365 deal. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, man. Like, because they're working every day for you. Oh, um, boo. And, and it was just <laughs> like, oh, man, are you like, – did you really just say it's a yeah. 365 <laughs> yeah, deal? Yeah. Like, give me, give me a fucking break, yeah, dude. On, dude. <laughs> you just brought a and, bunch of old hardcore kids into a room and said you were going to take their merch money. Yeah. Like, what are you talking <laughs> Bad about? Bad idea. So, so once like, I mean that, I think once the dude said that, like, it was kind of like, oh, I don't know if we're ever going to see eye to eye on this. Yeah. Yeah. That's a terrible, awful, weird thing to say. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I'd be into that either. Yeah. So you never actually got to that, to that point where you were like, all right, like, let's do it. Like, no, I mean. We took the meetings or they, we you know, we talked to the people after the shows or got a free dinner here and there. Yeah. 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 That kind of thing. But it was never to the point where we were like, all right, we're ready to do this. And to be honest, like, I'm super glad that we didn't. Okay. Um, and you know, that was kind of like back in the time too, where like warp tour was so huge. Right. Uh, you know, and for a long time we got a lot of pressure, like you guys need to play warp tour. You guys need to play. Warped tour. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had the same and, thing. <laughs> and it was like, I don't, I don't know that we fit. Um, in hindsight, I kind of wish we had just to see what would have happened. Yeah. But I know that like, but I know that we made the right choice choices in the moment and for the longevity of the band to like do what we did. Sure. Um, but I think there were certain things like that, that they probably would have wanted that we wouldn't have wanted to like, you know, we wouldn't have wanted to do so. Yeah. I don't think minus the bear and a warp tour is the best idea. Yeah, and like oh seven, could you imagine us playing like Planet of Ice songs in like two thousand seven at like a warp tour? Like I don't I can and I don't think it would have went that well. <laughs> yeah, like, I do picture it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I don't think it's great. <laughs> I mean there's nothing wrong with warp tours, you know, like I'm it's like turned millions of kids on to like different music, yeah, right? But I like know. I don't think that it's like I don't think that that was would have been good. I, I got to be honest, before we started doing Going Off Track again, I felt like a whole way about Warped Tour. Very negative. Very <laughs> negative. And we've done a lot of interviews in the last year or two from from bands or people who like literally like got their starts at Warped Tour. And it's like sure. this really, really important thing to them where they saw like all their favorite bands in the same place. So I do think like, 
you know, maybe for people our age, we were like a couple years out of the fact that it was super vital or important to us. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it was more of like a medium to help our bands, but like there were the kids who like grew up with the warp tour thing have a very, very different way of looking at it for sure. Yeah. I've had to get off my old, my self-righteous old man thing about that as much, <laughs> as, much as I could. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, all these years in the business now, the music biz, Dave, uh, <laughs> Like and now you have you know the gift of hindsight. Your father, what what kind of what kind of gems would you pass down to like a younger band just getting started? What are some some things you've learned through the years that are constants that are just hey, this is what you're going to have to do, and and there's really no other way around it. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's super cheesy to say, but I mean like be genuine to yourself as like a. I mean, I've always done that and even going back to like the warp tour conversation a minute ago it's Mm -hmm. like you know if it doesn't feel right it's probably not the right thing and you know like normally your gut can tell you everything you need to know and there's certain points where my gut told me not to do certain things and we did and it didn't work out that great right right um so i don't know i think just be aware of who you surround yourself with and like I don't know. Like, don't just let anyone in, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people out there that'll say, um, I know this is a jaded old guy talking, right. There's a lot of people out there that'll say whatever they, that you want to hear and can blow smoke up your ass, but it's jaded, but also accurate. Yeah. I mean, but it's also just a cliche too. Right. Right, I mean, I hate to like be that guy that's spouting cliches, but it's like, yeah, believe in yourself. Like don't do anything that goes against what your gut's telling you and be careful of like letting people in because a lot of times they're just there for the time being and they're not going to be there later on. Sure. Yeah. I do think that's so important. It's like, if you can just, as you said, if you can just be genuine to yourself and your music, However it pans out, at least you can be proud of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, God, there was something else that was on the tip of my tongue. But that will... Don't bring a bath towel? Nah. <laughs> Classic um, rookie mistake. Yeah, bring yeah. A bath, don't, don't bring... They always bring a bath towel on tour. That's how you can sniff out a rookie. And uh, I guess don't go on a bus. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Never going. No, well, you know what I was going to say, I think was like, try to do as much for yourself as you can in the beginning. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much that really plays these days. How so do as much. Well, you, oh, like, like keep like, it I, as I, like, we never had a manager until like point sure. of advice. Right. You know, like yeah, we, yeah. but now I, I mean the whole, everything's changed since then. So I don't know what that, what that even means. Well, there's still ways to build value for the band, you know, like the way that you did it, like you said, was, you know, you, you built a touring empire and merch, but there's still ways to build value before you need, you seek out help from other people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I, I, I guess that, that changes these, you know, from year to year, what you need to do, but yeah, I mean, try to do as much on your own and, you know, I think bands get managers way too fucking early, always. Yeah, see, that's that's kind of what I feel like is the case these days. Is <laughs> yeah. that like everybody has a manager, and it's not like you need a ma- like everybody yeah. doesn't need a manager. No, and like honestly, until there's actual money, it's just actually stupid. 
Right. You know, like you are cutting a percentage of nothing to somebody for not doing that. Like if you're not making money, you have nothing that needs management. Like the only thing that needs management is the things you don't have time to do. Right. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I think people go to that way quick. You, you should uh, try to find yourself a booking agent way before that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yes. Because yeah. <laughs> they make you money. Yeah, and they actually make you money. They, the other like, ones they, want you to, they want you to play shows. They want you to like, you know, get yeah. bigger. They, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's in your best interest. That's awesome. Well, Dave, uh, I think that's about it I got for you for now, man. That was fun. Thanks yeah, for- that was great, man. I appreciate it. Thanks oh, for, uh, shit. Thanks for asking I didn't us. even talk about the live album. That was, that was why we're on the horn. Oh, well, I mean, that's why we're on the horn. Oh, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I'm no Dan Rather. This is, this is, this is why I'm podcasting. Tell us, Dave, about your new album. Yeah. Oh, let's get to this. Hey, Brad, can you cut this into the beginning? (laughs) Well, I, the only question I had about that before I let you off, because it was, it was when you're doing the farewell album, I was curious uh like i was curious just musically how you put it together did you bring a board on that whole tour yeah we brought our own the first time we've ever done it we brought our own uh front of house console okay. with us and then just recorded every show so every song every show and then just every, figured every it song, out after yeah every song every show you know and like we all had there were certainly like highlights right right um, so those were the shows that we kind of like investigated first. And, um, uh, I mean, it was kind of like a, the reason it took so long to come out was cause yeah, there's just like so many fucking takes of every goddamn song. Yeah. That know? seems really hard to thin, thin out the herd there. Yeah. And so it, you know, it was, it was kind of like a, um, thing where it's like, we'll just listen to X number of, you know, like this show, this show, this show, see what's, see what's, see what's good. I mean, I gotta say like Sam, um, really helped in editing down some of the, some of the choices. Yeah. Um, that sounds and, really hard actually. And it was <laughs> as a band member, it was like, none of us even wanted to like approach that. Cause it was such a daunting yeah. number of songs. Cause I could see to. it. It's like, do I pick the one where I like flubbed once, but the feel was perfect or do I take the one where I played perfect? And it, you know, like that. that would, right. Right. Well, know, I mean, freak me out. Yeah, and it's funny because like you also because it's it's audio only, right? Because it's a record. Like there's the whole element of the show and the lights and the production and the crowd and like everything that you know. Like I may have remembered X song from Philly as being amazing, but that was just my memory right, right. of like the crowd in front of me going nuts. Yeah, and when I listen right. back to it, like it's totally different, right? Right. And maybe it wasn't like the best performance. And no one's going to know how crazy the crowd was going. So, yeah, you know, like, let's pick a song where the performance is maybe a little bit tighter, but still has the energy. Right. Because it's hard. So. I mean, because some shows feel better uh, simply because you got a good night's sleep the night before. It had nothing to do with even how you played, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, there's I mean, it's so many different <laughs> factors go into it. Right. Yeah. Um, and just like the vibe of the show, you know, like if the crowd's dead. Like, honestly, I got to say, it's like surprising that the first song on the album is from L.A. Because, like, you know, L.A. crowds are notorious for not really giving a shit. The worst. But, um, 
but man, like that LA show, we were like into it. Like listening back, it was like, damn, like we were really going for it. Maybe it was just like, this is our last time in LA. Fuck you. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> You're going to love it. <laughs> Speaking of being too cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to hear all of it. I heard the one song. It's going to be fun. It's like what? 26, 28 songs on it? 25, 26, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a great piece to give to the fans. It'll be awesome. And, uh, and just, just for my own curiosity, like, what are we thinking? Is Will minus the bear ever show its face again? I probably not. Probably not. I have no idea. It's, um, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I like a real Uh, answer, my friend. That's good. You're an honest man, Dave. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for giving me all that time. That was awesome. I had a lot of fun chatting with you. Yeah, that was great. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. See, I asked the most important questions last, as all good <laughs> interviewers do, you know? I think it's okay. I think it's fine, man. I got to start out. You know, I have lots of notes. Sometimes I don't organize I the don't notes. know that you should start an interview with, like, tell me about the new record. Oh, no, it's the worst. I got to be honest today, Brad. I, I was doing some research for this interview by listening to other podcasts, other music podcasts. Mm. And man, people talk even more than I do. <laughs> you mean hosts? Yeah. Uh, like they don't shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, you know, you're interviewing someone, right? Uh, yeah. Don't you want to hear what they say? I've, I've heard that too. Yeah. <laughs> but that was fun. I'm glad Dave gave us all that time. I'm really excited to... Sounds like the stuff he's working on in the basement there is going to be real interesting. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to see that, that come out. That's going to be really cool. Um, and I love minus the bear. I love botch. Always just find people to be around. I don't know, man, nothing bad to say. What do you have to say, Brad? Well, Benny, I have to say, if you would like to stay updated with Dave, Follow him at David Knudsen <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram, where you get your social media. And of course, Minus the Bear also. Instagram and Twitter at Minus the Bear and Facebook. Wow. Benny, back really, to you. You're getting really good at this. <laughs> Have you always had this voice in your pocket? I suppose. You could have used this at all times. How entertaining <laughs> is it? It, it it I run out of gas real quick. That was it. That was as <laughs> that was as much as I could do right there. That's all you got. Yeah, yeah I got a couple more bevs in you. Yeah. Okay. But uh yeah, if anyone is listening and you dig the show, uh, you know, maybe give it five stars. Oh, um yeah. if you're not gonna give it five stars, just don't be an asshole, you know, just don't bother. Like uh I see these people writing these reviews on podcasts like, well, I wish you did that. You know what? Just go listen to a podcast you liked. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Uh, If you're going to leave a review, I personally would love it to to sound like the lyrics to a Silk Sonic song. You know, I want I want velvety, buttery words. I want lusciousness. I want Mm, sex appeal. Butter. Basically, remember, Brad is going to be in Silk Boxers in about 40 minutes. So, or he might already be. And, and uh, I want you to envision that maybe with some, 
some hot cherry sauce or something when you write the review. <laughs> uh, or we have a Patreon. Someone yelled at me the other day for saying it wrong, so I'm going to say it even worse. Patreon. Mm. We have a Patreon. People just for- don't learn, do they, that if they if they chide you for saying something, <laughs> that you're obviously pronouncing the way that you want to pronounce it. <laughs> My wife yeah, gives me total shit about Albany. I'm like, Albany. yeah, it's on the way to Albany. Of course it's called that. Yeah. but Even tonight, I was like, hey, kids, how's your salmon? Wait, what's yeah. that? Salmon. Oh, <laughs> You know, Saul. Yeah. Hey, yeah, cousin Solomon. But of course, you're just going to crank it up if they try to, like, you know, correct you. So, oh, yeah, of course I am. I'm an asshole. Um, so, yeah, we have a Patreon. And uh, if you dig the show, we, we fund our program through the Patreon and we post some funny stuff and we do a chat once a week on Discord. That's fun. Mm-hmm. And you can join us if you join the Patreon. If not, you are unwelcome. <laughs> Not allowed. But you may follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Going Off Track. Yeah, you you're can allowed also to do that. go to Venmo at Off Track and leave us a tip if you want. We'll take a buck, five, five thousand. I don't care. You know, money's money's money. Shekel like, to shekel. Do yeah. like that other guy, like uh, last week, who gave us some million dollars. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and guess what? I went by that dude's house and I fluffed him. <laughs> That's that. You give us a million dollar tip, I'll come over to your house. I'll jerk you off. <laughs> Careful, Benny. Dude, is there really a millionaire listening? I mean, I also got to think here. I'm going to be splitting it with you. Oh, no. I'll tell you Taxes. what. If you want to give Benny a million dollars to fluff you, I won't. I'll take I'll take 5%. That's I'll be happy with that. Okay. All right. All right. That's not bad. Good deal for you. 50 grand to watch me jerk someone else Wait, off. Wait, I have to watch? <laughs> you don't have to do anything. <laughs> Jesus. All right. And I'm not even bringing up our female listeners. It'll just be inappropriate. <laughs> um, okay. I'm well, calling this one. <laughs> yeah, let's get out of here. Everyone love everybody. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Benny. Peace. Peace.